listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 542. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our discussion of the Netflix mystery series, Bodies. We've reached the halfway point, and I don't know about you, but no regrets about deciding to do it this way. I mean, this episode, it really kind of hit with all of the little pieces of information that, oh, okay, that's who she is. Now we see why. Mm -hmm. And then in some cases, we're still like, well, uh, wow, what's his motivation for doing it this way? But anyway, we'll get to that in the discussion. Um, probably. Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, obviously, you and I had a, a good Christmas night uh, on a lot of levels and a good Christmas yeah. Eve. Well, Christmas, I think, that was great. Christmas Eve, maybe uh, even better. Oh, my gosh. What, so, a, what a beat down. It, it got yeah. to be the sort of embarrassing after a while. And... Um, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, our Baltimore Ravens just performed the ultimate beatdown on the Miami Dolphins, who are a good team. They're a very good team. <laughs> and we certainly were a bit concerned going in. We knew we had to win one of two. Well, I was concerned that first drive. The Dolphins came just straight down the field. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you know, but then the Ravens, you know, I, I thought it was going to be a, a – sh- actually, I didn't think it was going to be a shootout. I – I really had the faith that uh, the Ravens' defense would make adjustments and everything, but I was ready for just a you know just a, a shootout where each team just scores like every single time because uh, both offenses are that good. But uh, that did not happen. It did not, and it's funny because I I've never actually joined one, but I always go on the message board of the team that the Ravens are playing just to see what the other fans are saying and oh my god it's anytime you think you're too invested dude just go on one of these other message boards <laughs> right right i mean these yeah. people are psycho yeah and yeah, well sure. we have you know we had injuries here i'm like dude there's not one starter in the ravens defensive backfield at this point they're all yeah. hurt our yeah. tight ends hurt our right guard didn't play i mean well marcus williams okay right he and he just came back and he's still nursing uh, yeah. but uh anyway enough of uh football um i'll tell you i, I was kind of struggling for what i was going to talk about and what i'm watching and then uh, as i was sitting here getting ready to call you um, my wife and i just started season three of the tailor which i've probably mentioned before it's a turkish series that that follows the, this character who is a fashion designer and it's, you know, this love triangle and it's just really maddening. I won't get into that. But the thing I love about it is what they did was they just filmed all three seasons back to back to back uh-huh. and released them three months apart on Netflix. Oh. And I'm thinking, how hard was that, people? What the yeah. hell are some of these shows doing? And and this isn't a show that depends on special effects or anything like that or elaborate sets. So some of the shows we follow, that is the case, like Foundation. Well, what the hell? You got everything ready? Keep filming. I, I, I don't understand it. But anyway, the other one that popped up in my Netflix feed, oh, maybe a few weeks ago, A Nearly Normal Family. And it's Swedish, and basically it follows this young girl who at 15 
gets raped by her coach. Are you familiar with the sport handball? It's big in Europe. Yep. It's a great game. I don't know Actually, why. Actually, we- my roommate freshman year of college was a team handball player. Okay. Oh, of course, the movie with, uh, yeah, what's his name? The comedy. You mean uh, dodgeball? Dodgeball. Oh, right, dodgeball, right, but, yeah. which is not what we're talking about. But anyway, no. so she gets raped by her coach at 15, and her parents basically tell her, well, there's no point in reporting it. You'll be made out to be the victim, and and then whatever. So at 19, she gets involved with this guy, and the next thing you know, she's arrested for his murder. Hmm. And it really is a pretty good series. It's only like six or eight episodes at the most. And yes, yeah, so, I mean, it sounds kind of familiar, David. You talked about this one. Before. I have not. Cause we just watched it. Uh, you know, I guess okay. maybe two, three days ago. So, uh, you know, it's been all over our Netflix feed, but again, as you and I've talked many times, the Netflix feed that we see is probably based on the algorithm for the oh, kinds yeah. of things we're watching. Oh, so for it sure. probably doesn't pop up in yours. Well, but. like mine just popped up. There's a, a, a money heist spinoff. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't like, watch it. But. I was started singing yeah. when I saw that. Like, Oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, I'll tell you, we talk about algorithms and, and I know you said, well, you know, I wonder why they're, you know, showing these to you on my Facebook feed. I keep seeing these things for legal marijuana and some of these ads are just freaking hilarious. Yeah. It's the husband and wife and, you know, they're, you know, it's like, uh, we've got the pre-rolls and, you know, wait a minute. Is that my mother? Are you two in there getting high? without me and she comes in with a plate of brownies hope this makes up for your birthday that i forgot <laughs> like okay that is hilarious oh, oh anyway all right what are you watching <laughs> um well i i for the first thing i have down to talk about is rebel moon but i know alan talks about it so maybe i'll just kind of park that one and uh we'll uh leave my comments about rebel moon uh in at the end of the show there um, the other is uh, What If, Oh, season I, two. Okay. I still haven't seen that. I know of it, and it seems yeah, to be in our I wheelhouse. Mean, it's, it's it's really good. Uh, you know, it's all animated. Um, I you know, I, I think I've mentioned this before. I, I love the What If comics when I was a kid. I thought they, they were, like, some of my favorites. That, you know, you'd always like, what if this superhero had, you know, what if Peter Parker was ever bitten by a spider or stuff like that, you know? um we're talking about two different what ifs apparently yeah i probably (laughs) i'm not sure what you're thinking of but this is all marvel uh universe type stuff and um and and of course now that they've you know they've had this multiverse set up then they can you know totally do stuff like this everything so i've not gotten very far yet i think i've only watched like the first two episodes the first one was like a guardians of the galaxy actually but the first two were both guardians of the galaxy center but the second one was also had the avengers as well i don't know so it's it's decent i you know it's not like i i haven't even caught up yet so it's obviously not high up on my priority list but it's certainly enjoyable and they're like a half hour long and everything so well my, well, my what if, desperate to secure funding for her med tech startup, an idealistic scientist and her husband strike an outrageous deal with a mysterious investor. 
that is that's not what I'm watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of got that. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Anything else? You good? No. Well, like I said, I'll I'll talk about Rebel Moon at the, at the back end of the podcast. So okay. All right, well, why don't we get to Bodies, Season 1, Episode 4, titled Right Up the Wazoo. And I have certainly been remiss in reminding listeners that if you have not seen the entire eight-episode series, don't listen to the podcast now. Yeah, that's funny. I thought about that today, too. I'm like, I can't remember the last time we actually kind of gave that warning at the beginning. I hope no one got burned by it. Yeah, so it's, it's funny. I was looking at some past reviews that i wrote for den of geek and you know one was a a series finale for vikings and i put a picture of you know because you know you get a couple of options that that the network gives you to use uh along with your story and it was a character that hadn't been around for a while i won't you know say it even though the statute of limitations is long gone for vikings well, thanks a lot for posting that picture. Now I know this. Or, and then I love the comments. It's like, well, what the hell are you doing at a series finale review if you haven't watched the whole series anyway? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, thank you. Thank you. All right. Anyway, uh, this one's written by uh, Danusia Samal. And this is the first time uh, we've got an episode written by someone other than the showrunner and creator, Paul Tomlin. Directed again by Marco Cruz Paintner. Series was released October 19th, 2023. So, like I was saying at the outset, things are really starting to, I guess, kick in in terms of being able to spot clues. Uh, certainly, this is one episode where it's a fairly equal distribution of screen time among the four years mm-hmm. and the four detectives. So, that was certainly unusual. But I guess. To a large extent, Hassan's putting together the time travel pieces, and the first time around, we don't know Barber's involvement, but once we see the entire series, we know that he's basically been playing uh, along with her investigation, and then we're thinking like, well, well, why? It's like, why does he want to help her? Right. Well, you know, because, and I feel like after watching this episode, I'm like, you know, this is really, they pretty much almost, we, we almost have all the information about what's actually going on at this point. It's not, you know, spelled out for us in black and white, but Andrew at the end um, certainly gives, tells us basically what's going on. But we just don't really know enough at this point to really put it together per se. There's probably some really you know astute uh, watchers out there who who figured it out at this point. Um, probably had already figured out that Elias is the commander who then goes back in time to become Julian Harker. So yeah, but but Barber, he's you know like he's definitely the guy I'm watching the closest because you know he's the guy. Fred mentions this that. You know, we just didn't expect him to be in on it because he seems like he's got Hassan's back the whole time and he encourages her. And that's exactly it, right? It's because he encourages, because he needs her to, you know, be on this investigation. He needs for her to find the body. He needs for her to meet uh, Elias, right? So what looks like, 
you know, encouragement of either a fr- both, you know, a friend and a colleague, it's actually him manipulating her into playing out her role to, you know, lead to the deaths of millions of people. Well, see, he, here's what I guess I, I find a little confusing even now is that on the one hand, we could say Andrew Morley is on team bomb. He locks her up. So what that Elias will detonate the bomb and kill hundreds of thousands of people. It almost seems well, I don't know, it, that's not why he, I, I can't remember why he locks her up. But that's not why, because she is integral to him setting off the bomb and they know it. So they, you know, that's the thing It's like everything they do, like they know how it's going to shake out, right? They know what they have to do. Like, so what they do is not necessarily to either prevent or cause something to happen. What they do is just what they've done before, what they're told they have to do. They just do what they have to do and fate will work it all out. And she'll, you know, end up uh, leading Elias to the bomb. Right. But she's the one that does stop him, right? If it's not for. Yeah, but future her does. Oh, okay. 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 So I guess then the argument is that Barbara doesn't know about future Hassan and right. And any of that. she goes back after Mannix does. Okay. So that's the only, what Mannix does not know is the shit that happens. I'm sorry. The stuff that happens after he goes back. Right. Right. That's where his omniscience ends. And that's, that's where they get him. Okay. Now, I don't know if you went ahead and rewatched any of the, I didn't. Uh, I okay. To, well, I really wanted to try and get Succession wrapped up, and I, I've only got two episodes left. Okay. So. Well, I I did get to the end and rewatched the finale, and for me, when I watched it the first time, and and really the only time, and until we started podcasting about it, was with my wife, and we just burned them. We probably watched the whole series in two nights. Yeah, Dave. So then I get to the end, and while I had the basic concepts still in my memory, there were a lot of things that I see this time around, and I, I figure I'll hold that until we, we get to episode eight. But um, one of the things that, that has occurred to me, I mean, we suspect that Defoe goes into the throat, or anybody, I guess, and he splits, and he simultaneously time travels to 1890 1941 and 2023 correct and 2025 because he travels like no it's it's not two years it's two uh, uh, 2053 right but he's already there right that's where he starts but he right I, i i don't know Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. So <laughs> continue. All right. But my, my question is, and, and this really would only, I guess, become important if we get a season two. And when I rewatched the finale, I got some issues here that how on earth do you end your series this way unless you're planning to do a right. season two? But anyway, right. I, again, I don't want to jump ahead. But But here's my point, or my question rather. Well, I just, I just, Gabriel does travel back a couple days right. in 2053. Correct, so I, correct. Wrong, yeah. Right. But he makes it clear in his lecture that's attended uh, 
by Iris, that time travel is possible both ways. So I guess what I'm getting at in this long roundabout way, did any of his bodies go to the future? And we just haven't seen that or we don't know about it. Season two. Yeah, well, there you go. (laughs) So so certainly looking forward to that possible uh, storyline. You know, and, and, and that question we've talked about before you we certainly see uh, the contrast between how people like iris live and how people like her brother she would argue choose to live and i really like the iris defoe connection and he makes the point and and i think you and i brought this up a couple weeks back um, you know this is a society that offers everything to everybody but you have to buy in and we don't really know what the buy-in actually entails and iris says to defoe they choose to be left behind right and then he's got that discussion with her and and again i i i'm so sorry that their evening was cut short and apparently so is she because i think she had uh designs well, to, to like, hit the bedroom like if, if you if you want to get with a girl man don't start talking about like philosophy and stuff you know? yeah but the, 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 it depends on the girl and and, yeah, and, I, and I think in this case uh, uh as she said you know one one glass of wine leads to three and uh <laughs> next thing you know she runs out or he, i'm sorry he runs right, out but the, the funny thing is is that gabriel's defending like that we don't make decisions right he's like the one who says it's all faded exactly free like will that. doesn't exist yeah um, which I loved that, um, you know, while it was not an aphrodisiac for anyone, but I loved the conversation that they had. Uh, well, we, I actually do like a unit uh, with uh, transcendentalist writers. And then at the end of it, we have like a debate on whether free will exists or not. And a lot of what Gabriel was saying is like stuff that one of the articles I found that I give to my students uh, talks about is how you know what we interpret as us making decisions is really just us responding our genetic DNA responding to stimuli you know and while we take it as like oh this is you know but you know we are outside influences or our own DNA it's just electrical impulses that are happening right it's 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 not us actually having any kind of volition over what we do we do what what we do how we respond is based on a number of factors but they're all biological and chemical factors they're physiological factors yeah i guess i mean (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if i actually believe that or not but it's you know like it's a it's an interesting you know idea yeah i I guess emerson would disagree with me but well, exactly. It's completely the opposite of what Emerson would say, right? Because Emerson yeah. was just like, you know, the person is, you know, like uh, like I make my own decisions, and you know, transcendentalism is I am as an individual, I think for myself, and nothing impacts it, you know, my my thought process, but my own, you know, will and desire and all that stuff and everything. So that, that it's the complete opposite of what Emerson Thoreau thought. Yeah, um, and then really touching exchanges between esther 
and Whiteman, especially when he carries her to the tube during the air raid. Of course, we see it with different eyes this time around because we know he's carrying her to her death. Well, yeah, and then all the crazy shit, like he holds the gate open so Polly can get through. Yes, which I didn't see the first time. I did not catch that at all the first time. And then, you know, Esther's like, well, let's go this direction. He's like, nah, let's go this direction, which is the direction where Polly's. But of course, Polly knows all this, right? Like, I think is maybe Alan or Fr- I can't remember Alan or Fred. I'll just say Fralin um, <laughs> had mentioned, how does she know all this? Well, she knows because she... For her, it was she. She learned it like a history, right? Right. It's happened before many times, yeah. and, and uh, you know, Manic slash Harker has access to everything to know exactly you know how it happened. You know, all I should do is tell Polly, just you know, make a, a record saying, "Be here at this time." Well, you know, when, go this direction. Well, they're gonna. This is where you're gonna meet them. Right. I mean, when Andrew takes Hassan down into the basement. Look how many copies of Defoe are down there. So we see probably four or five. Who knows how many uh, little alcoves and cubby holes. And, you know, we we don't know how many bodies are down there. Um, But, but yeah, just watching it on the, on the second and third time, it it, it just changes the dynamic totally this time. I mean, she gives her, her a piece of chocolate. And well, which kills her, of course, right? But that, that's even like, well, the, you know, and this kind of goes back to what Andrew said. Like, he was like, you know, it does your nut in, right? Like, it's it, 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 it freaking messes with your mind, and that's like what they're doing. They don't just kill Esther, right? She asks him if she can give him the chocolate, so she, you know, it's like she and she gives it to him to her right in front of him. So it's like she's, you know, like committing this murder, not only right in front of him, but asking for his permission to commit the murder. Well, and he asks Polly if she'll keep an eye on Esther. And and we're like, Which at first I thought was like a mistake, but she's already dead at this point, isn't she? Basically. Well, because she's eating the chocolate, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know that there's anything he would be able to do. It's not as if he would be able to get her out of the tube and, and to a doctor right. at this point as the air raids taking place. But, uh, but anyway, we start with 2023 and Hassan learns that Hillinghead was a cop in her white chapel precinct. And I love this sequence when she goes down into the archives and there's the archives and then there's the archives and I forget the dude's name. That's the archivist. Clive. Cl- man. Okay. Well, she clearly has had contact with him before, and he yeah. apparently really is willing to do whatever he can for her. Now, okay, narrative device. I guess the fact that he remembers the 1941 file, right? Which I guess it's possible that's he's just, going. That's just, let's move this narrative along. Right. right. I mean, I guess you could argue, well, he's in the process of digitizing all the files. And okay, maybe, I, I guess. Uh, he's also a good archivist, right? A good archivist is doesn't, you know, it's, just, it's not just because he can read an index. Right. Because he, he knows a lot of stuff that's there. So I just like when she says, uh, 
She says something like, do you have any old case files? He just looks at He doesn't even answer. He just looks at her like, say, just like, bruh. <laughs> right. And he goes down, <laughs> uh, okay, 1930, or I forget what it goes. He gets to 1912, Titanic. Love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just great. But then we see Hassan ask her friend to run the print that Hillinghead got off the gaslight. And her friend is looking at, well, what the hell is that? What we, of course, learn later is that, A, while her friend immediately balked at being able to get any information from whatever the hell you just gave me, she also seems to be the kind of you know tech person that loves a challenge like that. Right. And, oh, you get a thumbprint from 1890? Right. And then, of course, a- Can do. Right. Now, we don't see it in episode four, but we know- of course, that the print turns out to be Julian Harker. And well, and Elias Manning. I, I, I'm sorry. I said Julian Harker. I meant to say the 15-year-old because that's all that's her reference. So it's the same yeah. as 15-year-old Elias. And, and that, of course, makes Hassan's head explode at, at this yeah. point. Um, Which is already like, I mean, like, what is she even thinking at this point? You know, like, can you imagine? Like, Yeah. And, and I love... She goes to Barber and says, I've got some stuff that's going to blow your mind, uh, but we can't look at it here. So I, I guess she feels that there are people that don't want her to discover the truth about what's going on here within the police department. And that that's sure. why she wants to get away. Although once they get to the bar and she starts laying out the articles and she she insists that nothing goes down because anybody that I convicted in the past will go free because I'm Looney Tunes because I'm saying that, well, I don't even, she doesn't even know what she's saying at that point. Right. Um, well, I, I like that because like Barber his actually, his hands are shaking a little as he looks through it. You, at first you're like, well, is that because he's trying to think of a way to get her off this scent? But, on the, you know, he, that's not what he's here for, right? He's here to encourage her every step of the way and make sure she's does what she's always done and goes in this right in the direction they want her to go, which apparently, you know, involves him encouraging her to follow, you know, to keep pursuing this. Of course, he gets her to do it on her own and break into the Harker house on her own, which is where she's going to get locked up and all this stuff. So, um, you know, I, I it's. I'm seeing more and more of, you know, once you, you know that like pretty much everyone's in on it, then I should have feel like I should have seen even when I first watched this, that, you know, Barbara's definitely uh, part of this whole thing. Well, I, I, I don't know that that's really fair because, you know, while uh, Andrew tells Hassan, you wouldn't imagine how many people are really involved in this. And I think once we get to the end of the series, we realize, you know, we're not talking about a couple dozen. We're, caught, we're talking about hundreds, probably thousands of people that are involved in, in this conspiracy. So when we look at Barber, to feel like we should have seen something, I don't know that that's fair because Barber is really doing his job well, and that is to make sure that Hassan gets from point A to point B 
but also inject enough skepticism, inject, uh, you know, a few roadblocks right. along so the way. So he doesn't look too much like he just exactly he just wants her to pursue this you know, right yeah. and he strikes that perfect balance yeah, yeah he really does they did i mean out of, i think out of all the characters in in this series i mean he's not my favorite character by any stretch but i think probably the one that they really do a great job because it's it's very difficult right because he's on the one hand he he does as you said he has the leader down this path on the other hand you can't make it too obvious that he's doing it so um they just did a really good job writing that character i feel like yeah and and you know the little things about making the connection to the legal cards that the morley's had and then it's like oh it was started right, he by, makes that connection right yeah and started like he's by like hey yeah, julian harker in 1894 uh, you know, then they go to the Harker house, of course. Um, but once she breaks into the Harker house, actually, she's alone at this point. She finds that record player. Here's Harker's voice. You'll have to learn to live with the uncertainties. Remember this name, Iris Maplewood. She'll get you as far as you need to go. And then, of course, there's the, you know, the, the confrontation we talked about with, with Andrew Morley. We knew you'd come. And, and like you said, so much of this episode lays out exactly what's going on not everything there's still a lot as you said that we don't know that we learn along the way i think the big thing that we don't is like we haven't made that connection between elias mannix and the commander slash julia Harper. right but i guess what andrew says that confuses me a bit is he says elias died wanting to undo it which we know, you know, he right. re-records the last record and, the, you know, don't detonate the bomb. Here it sounds as if Andrew thinks Hassan can help Elias not detonate the bomb and not live a life with regret. But then he locks her up knowing that only yeah. she can stop him. So that that's what's so confusing to me about that sequence. So... But I, I think he thinks I, I think what he says is like if you don't if you never met him, right, would he just go on his way and live a normal life? Like, you know, he sees Hassan, which she is, as being pretty much the linchpin that um, you know, brings about the, the this moment of crisis for Elias. So, you know, he I, but again, locking her up clearly not meant to at least I don't think it's meant to <clears throat> prevent her from meeting Elias because I think he's still just doing what he's supposed to do because everything is going to work out again the way it's supposed to because she will get out of there. She will take Elias to his mother and Elias the first time around is going to you know detonate the bomb. Yeah. You know, the, the, jumping into 1890, I guess one of the things that I think about from time to time is this relationship between Hillinghead and Ash and why we're given so much screen time with that. And I think when you really, and why a show that lists nudity and it's all dudes. Yeah, I know that. that I mean, I, you know, hey, whatever. Well, I'm just saying, well, I think we know. downgrade for that, but like, <laughs> but and this one, it was like not even like you know. Usually, you get like that. You you like oh nudie, sweet, and then it's like some dude's butt. And you're like all right, okay. Well, what happened? Got me there. But this one, yeah. Well, she goes 
into the basement. And there's all those bodies of of Gabriel with his, you know, his you know, Walter Johnson hanging out. Yeah, well, well, you know, it's even worse on a lot of these European crime shows we watch, where it'll have the nudity, and then we get there, and the nudity is actually the uh, the dead woman on the table getting autopsied by the medical examiner. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. not fair. But anyway, yeah. um, I, I, th- I think the thing about Henry, I don't want to say uh, Hillinghead, you know, wants to stop investigating because that's clearly not true. But Henry really does provide a- another set of eyes. And maybe it's, you know, his photographer sense that that he sees things and thinks things and 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 they really work together as a team. But the other interesting thing here is when Hillinghead gets home and his wife's like, where you been? And of course, when he tells Polly the, the story about the fight in the jail cell, she's like, you always do that when you lie. But his wife kisses him on the mouth and it's almost like okay kissing can i taste another woman here and well i I, he was just at a bar though i think is what she's probably tasting okay true he was having a couple drinks i think that's probably she is what she i I was thinking about that too i'm like they're not gonna no it's not like she's like what is that salty taste in your mouth you know it's not i think i think it's the alcohol Okay. And of course, we see the locket scene and, and, you know, being able to see uh, Hillinghead and his wife and then baby Polly. And then in 1941, when adult Polly shows it to Esther, we're like, ah, okay. And then she says her name's Polly. And it's like you get goosebumps because it's, it's like, oh my. And, and then, of course, as we talked uh, last week or the week before, how does Polly get from that 19-year-old girl playing the piano to this woman that's willing to murder a 13-year-old girl who's you know, just struggling to survive the Second World War? And how does Greta Sachi get from the complete hottie, I remember, from the 90s to a, an old lady? You know, like... Yeah. Right. Now, the other thing is, you know, you, you mentioned that she was kissing her husband because smelled alcohol, which is certainly likely. But we later learn she kind of knows that her husband is sort of fluid in his sexuality. And right. for 1890, that's not something that you let people know Uh, certainly it's a crime in england and probably much of europe at that point so you know the the relationship he has with henry has to be kept on the down low but it's as his wife suspected this all along and i think we certainly get the sense this is the first time that that alfred has acted on oh yeah this yeah um but the other thing that that i just can't wrap my head around alfred puts his glasses on then he takes them off and i think it's henry that says what's that on your glasses and i hold them up to the light and there's this humongous (laughs) thumbprint i'm like okay now i wear glasses i know you do i mean we don't Mm -hmm. wear them all the time but we wear i wear mine pretty much oh you do okay he, the smallest thing will cause me to take them off and get my t-shirt out and 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 clean yeah. them up how in the 
okay. Anyway, it's a small point. Yeah, but. I, I'm, I'm with you though. That that was definitely the most outlandish, probably detail of this entire episode. That a that the smudge was still there because you know, like it's like with your glasses, it's almost like second nature. You got like a little, you know, something that's a smudge on it. You just pull them out. Use your shirt tail, the probably a, a handkerchief or something to clean it off. Like you wouldn't look at it and think, you know, so probably that thing, that thumbprint would have been, well, unless this is the first time he puts his glasses on, then okay, that's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to overlook it, but there's a lot of unrealistic aspects. Well, yeah, that, I don't, right? but I think it's Henry that notices it rather than the guy that's right. got the glasses right. on. But anyway, exactly. The guy, you know, like, <laughs> certainly he put on like, whoa, what the hell? Yeah. You know? um, so, yeah. so, so then in 1941, it, it, we learn that the investigation into the death of Lee Cousins, who's the guy that Whitehead murdered, uh, you know, because he's trying to cover his tracks from the murder that, right. that he committed. And we learn that that investigation is going to reopen. Now, we haven't seen Hayden, I don't think, at this point, have we? Yeah. We have? Okay. The the DCI? Yeah. Well, well yeah. I mean, we've each been... Well, Polly's son, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, he's basically Whitehead's boss, and he, well, and that's the thing. Like, that's that's the one point I'm not sure about because, you know, if he's quote unquote in on it, then he's supposed to allow things to happen as they've happened before, which in this case is going to lead up to Whiteman killing both of his parents in one night. What I can't remember is how does he does he know that that's what Whiteman's going to do? Um, because he is just applying kind of like enough pressure on him to make him do what he does, you know, um, to force him underground and for you know then to take Esther on the run. All these things he kind of surreptitiously helps make that stuff happen. But does he realize that what he's pushing Whiteman to do is to kill his parents? Well, yeah, and we don't know, but even I don't want to say more importantly, but but kind of in the big picture, more importantly, to get that record hidden behind the photograph for Hassan right. to find in 2023. Right. So, right. oh, I forgot about that. But yeah, right, right, right. So, like you said, we we don't know really what Hayden thinks he's doing. You know what he he knows because we i, I think we well, because there's things like the record that they don't they actually don't know about right like as much as they think they are omniscient omniscient yes um you know as as as, as convinced they are of their own omniscient there there's things that that they don't know about like what happens after um Elias enters the time machine in 2053. They don't know about Charlie putting the the record behind the the, the um, photograph in the bar, right? So there's there's things out there that that they don't know, and and the, the things that can help lead to their downfall. But is this the genesis of the new loop, which? I guess you could argue becomes the final loop. Like you said, how, how does Hayden not know that Charlie's going to put that record behind the photograph? 
is it simply because this is the loop in which the dying Julian Harker decides, no, I don't want him to detonate the bomb. Um, re-recording the record, the instructions are changed. That's a good question, man. Like he says, it does your nut in, right? Like, yeah. It's, just, it's crazy. Um, Andrew Morley, right, who's his family, and he is they've worked their whole lives, or I guess it's actually his, his wife's family, but still, you know, generations of of them, you know, working to support Harker in this vision of the future and to bring that about. But then he wonders, you know, should we really be doing it? Like, because he himself, even at the end of his life, he was just full of regrets, right? And th- that sucks. So, like, should we try and find a way that for this kid to live his life and not? Have, you know, it's so it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, and then we jump to 2053, and, you know, I mentioned Iris sitting in on Defoe's lecture. And of course, she raises her hand, brings up a paper that he had written that was eventually banned because it stated that time travel going both ways is possible. On the one hand, you think, well, all right, why do you want to ban that? You're letting this guy be a professor at this college and he's teaching theoretical physics and all of that. Now, is time travel a step too far? that we're going to ban it i mean maybe you just say well you know what you're not going to get tenure (laughs) i mean but (laughs) i I don't know so uh, you know talking about the deutsch particle which i meant to look up to see if that's actually a thing i don't i don't know if it if it is or not but uh i did not look it up either and i'm now ashamed of myself because i think i did mean to do that but um iris takes defoe back to her place because that's you know her her vision of a safe house and again while we certainly knew that her neighbor is uber annoying with her cat and her uh, making any excuse to come in and drink wine with iris and whatever didn't necessarily see her in on the fix well but we did you know well even that's the one thing i'm like ah yeah this one's kind of obvious because she's just you know, like I said, it reminds me of Marlon in the Truman Show, which I know you haven't seen the Truman Show. Have you seen the Truman Show? I have yet? not. Yeah, you asked You've me. You've had a week, Dave. Yeah, You've I had know. a week. I know. So. Um, but, you know, like, so it's just her whole, every everything she does is just so obviously kind of fake and manufactured. So it's not at all surprising when she ends up. But she's not in on it with the people that I thought she was in on it, right? She's she's on it in on the, uh, the other end. She's with the Chapel Perilous crew. Right. Right. And, and, you know, once she sees that Iris has a guest and on the one hand, seeing it for the second or third time, she's just knocking on the door to make sure that the foe is actually there. I assume. Well, also, she gives him a chance to escape. Correct. Right, right, right. And then. But she's just a really slow, because it, it seemed like he had a pretty nice jump on her. And she still ran him down, so he just must be very, very slow runner. Well, yeah, and not to mention the fact that she's got the spine that enables her to uh, walk, true. let alone yeah. run fast enough, which, 
whatever. And, yeah, maybe she can maybe enhance it. So right. Can... And, and and then uh, I can't think of her neighbor's name, but she Lorna L- right tases her, and and yeah. Defoe's like, "What the hell did you do that for?" <laughs> so. I, I don't know what he meant by that. You know, w- did it short out her spine? Probably. Uh, can she recharge it? Probably. Whatever. But uh, yeah. Well, that's the other thing about how quick that thing recharges, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Like she just puts on. It's like a couple seconds and bloop. Yeah. It's all done. Not, it's like, I will say though that my new iPhone charges pretty darn fast. I mean, l- yeah. less than an hour. It's back to one hundred percent. But uh, nice. but but while they're at her place drinking wine he's i think preparing dinner she says i'll catch that person even if that person is you and on the one hand i think she says it partially tongue-in-cheek because she knows there are two bodies there's a there's a defoe in the morgue and a defoe that's having dinner and drinks with her so but it's just it's such a concept even for a 2053 detective to wrap her head around time travel actually being a thing. It's one, it's one thing sitting in a lecture and hearing about it. It, It's another to actually be part of it. And, you know, uh, of course she eventually, well, she already is. She just doesn't know how deep she is. Um, Right. And then we're not what you think we are. Uh, he says to Iris, take her to chapel. Well, I assume he means chapel perilous. So, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, what else haven't we talked about? Yeah. You know, well, you know, I, I, I do, like I said, I really, I think my favorite part of this episode actually was as much as I love action, I did really, really love that conversation, that dialogue between Iris and Gabriel <clears throat> and her very absolutist views. Like you said, like she thinks the people, because Gabriel's like, well, shouldn't everyone have access to the type of medical care that you're getting, whether they buy into this or not? And she's, and like you said, her opinion's like, no, they opt out themselves. They willingly opt out themselves. So, so no, right? So she has this kind of very black and white view of the world, right? It's like she doesn't consider the nuance of what Julian, Julian, Gabriel, is saying about the possibility of, of free will not actually being a thing. And she just says, no, I decide to do this, or I decide to do that, you know, and everything. And I just, I am making those decisions. Very, very not unlike Emerson's philosophy, which is just like, you know, why do I, I say I make my own decisions, therefore I do basically. So that was just, um, that was just, I just really like that. Well, that well, right. But part of the problem is, as we said, we don't necessarily know what it means to buy in because it's almost got this 1984 light vibe to it. Whereas 1984 and Big Brother, it, 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 we know immediately that this is a very dark society and, right. and that, that, you know, the people really are living in. A, a, a state of fear 100% of the time. We don't get that sense. No, and, no, for sure. And oh, you look at uh, Iris's apartment, you're like, compared to her brother's place, I'm like, man, you know, like what, what freedom are you holding on to that you're more willing to live there than a place that, like she has, you know? Right. Uh, compared to, you know, the way Winston Smith's, 
apartment right. is right. described. See, on the other hand, she says things like, well, before, like, people were always mean to each other, and they were just, it was just, ter- you know, like, and she doesn't clearly was not old enough to remember, right? She was, sure. I mean, it was 30 years ago, and she's obviously older than, than 30 because she was born when it happened, but she's not, she doesn't look like she's much o- over 30. Right. So I don't feel like she should, she really got the vibe of what the 21st century was like before the bomb. And then now she's like, and now everything's great and we all love each other. We help each other out. Like, well, that's from, we haven't seen a lot, but it doesn't seem like that's necessarily true of the, of the future either, you know? So again, she has these very polarized views of, of what life was like before and what's it's, it's like now. And, um, you know, maybe not realistic view of the world. Okay. What else? I don't know. It's just like that part with Esther. Like that was, that's the probably the part I was dreading the most. And it, I'm glad it's over with. Cause that was just, that, that was such a, just such a bummer. Like it's just so na- bad and horrible um, because you see Whiteman really stepping up and taking on and actually enjoying his role as the protector slash father. Right. Right. It's like uh, do one good thing, do one good deed, and, and perhaps, you know, y- you can have a, su- a somewhat redemptive, you know, right. future. Um, and then, of course, you know, Polly like drops the know you are loved as she's walking away. So he knows, yep. like she, she basically said, bro, you know who I am. I did, you know, she's like, I did this. You know, I want you to know that I did this. You know, and that's that's not going to be okay with him, and that's going to. But again, they're leading him to do something that they know he's going to do. That's that's the, I can't remember why they want him to do this. Why she wants to die? Why she wants her husband killed? But it's crazy, and it's just to the you know, Whiteman is definitely. Whereas last episode was like this very low point of our relationship with Whiteman. And we thought that he was just, you know, there was a moment there that we thought he was the most irredeemable character I've ever seen to now where we are like, I, he's now my favorite character and I'm pulling for him a hundred percent. Don't get too invested. Well, but I'm kidding. Well, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. You are, you're, you're not, but you are, but you're not, but you're not, but you are. Right. right? That's, exactly. That's a very bodies type statement. I think. Yep. It might be it. Except, you know, that, that great. Uh, first of all, the Deutsche particle is an actual thing, by the way. Okay. Um, and, um, but that, that scene where he, he's going, uh, Whiteman's going back to his apartment and here's the music blaring out of the, the window of his apartment. And he's like furious, right? Like he's trying to keep her alive. He's telling her she's got to be, keep, you know, everything on the down low. And, and he goes in, she's blasting music and dancing and everything. It's just like, She's, she's a kid, right? Sure. All right. All right. Speaking of kids, let's go ahead and get the listener feedback, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the miniseries Bodies, Season 1, Episode 4. Coming back to last week's podcast first. You were talking about how Alfred Hillinghead could be Polly's father because of the estimated age differences between 
him and his daughter and the two actors. Well, I looked it up. The actress who plays Polly is from 1996 and the actor who is playing Alfred is from 1985. So they only differ 11 years. You were talking about Boxing Day and I, of course, don't want to say anything about it having Alan here because that's a real Commonwealth thing. Uh, As far as I could look it up, but anybody else can, that on the day after Christmas, in the olden days, there was a box for gifts for the poor. So then on the day after Christmas, this box was opened. We in the Netherlands have a so-called second Christmas day, Tweede Kerstdag. And actually, Christmas day is called first Christmas day then, and they are both official holidays Okay, having all that behind us, I'm recording this on the 31st of December, so I'm going to wish every listener and maker of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch a very happy and healthy 2024. What am I watching? As said last week, I started with Sanctuary, and that's nice. And we also had a TV at home ticket, then you can log in to a cinema and you can watch on your TV major films. And we watched, my wife and I, Oppenheimer. Gee, three hours of film. Well, we had to do that in two evenings. It was interesting, but also a little bit too complex. The main storyline is clear, of course, but having all kinds of different time periods in that movie. Although they worked with black and white and color, that didn't help too much. And too many auxiliary names, etc., And then for three hours, so that made the film a little, yeah, as said, too complex. But interesting team. Okay, about Bodies, episode four. First off, I want to correct myself. For last week, I said Harper instead of Harker. First remark I want to make is about Barber. I made it before, but now we are further in the timeline that you still don't see that he will make a 180 turn, especially when he is sitting with Sahara in uh, this pub, looking at the evidence from 1819 and 1941. He really looks puzzled and amazed. So if this is a police guy, and actually Alias's father, he can also be an actor. He is playing his bluff poker very well. On the other hand, he has to do that to get Sahara at the position she should be to continue the timeline, or actually the time loop. Furthermore, we see, of course, the awful thing about Polly killing Esther. I really wondered how she could arrange it that she was in the same underground tube at the same time as Carl Weissmann. As we now know, Charles Weidman's name really is... Little detail, by the way, in this subway tube, you see a poster there of Don't Help the Enemy. And above that, there is the so-called King George VI crown. And that's the same crown you see everywhere in the Keep Calm quote on t-shirts and mugs, etc., etc. Keep calm and eat a cookie. The original Keep Calm quote was Keep Calm and Carry On. The posters that Winston Churchill and King George VI put up everywhere to keep the population of the UK focused on their tasks instead of worrying about Mr. Hitler. 
Then I want to come back to the beginning of the episode and I loved the whole thing with the archive and this guy called Clive uh, that's in there finding the 1890 files and even finding the 1941 files. I really love his kind of humor. I think you should have that kind of humor to survive in an archive like that. Okay, that will be all. Greetings. All the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Hello to Dave Wayne and everyone at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Alan from England here with feedback on Bodies Episode 4. I was quite surprised to get the latest podcast. A new recording on Boxing Day. Well, that's dedication. We view Boxing Day as like Christmas Day, except you don't need to do anything or visit anybody. I believe the tradition of Boxing Day came from giving gifts in boxes, uh, to others outside the immediate family. I got a feeling it was a kind of class thing where more well-to-do people would give presents or money to poorer people or employees or servants or things of that nature back in the 17-1800s, something like that. And so to Bodies, episode four, right up the wazoo, which sounds like a reference from a carry-on movie or something. The titles show the bee in bodies turning into a bar of chocolate, which on the rewatch we know is about the demise of Esther, caused by Polly. It was funny that both Fred and I thought that the seance in the last episode was revealing M.A. for Mannix, whereas you quite rightly said it was M.A. for Maplewood. Good spot. 2023 Hassan wants to look into the name of Hillinghead. We see that uh, internet and electronic records are all very well, but sometimes not as useful as a real library or other repository of physical records, especially if there is a librarian or custodian on hand who actually knows stuff and where to find it. So Hassan gets information on 1890, but also 1941 Whiteman. So she's got everything in existence up to that point in time. On the rewatch, we can see that Charlotte's concern for Hillinghead definitely shows she suspects something, and possibly has suspected for a long time about his sexual preferences, but has said nothing. Young Polly says very little about the broken locket or the person they are going to play for. Later, of course, we know it's Harker. But she definitely knows when her father is lying and isn't afraid to say so. 2051 not-yet-dead Defoe talks about the Deutsche particle which sounds like a natural discovery, but also like something straight out of dark, and how impacting it with a singularity or dark matter formed it into something more, allowing jumps not just forward back in time, but actually both. So this gives us a clue as to how multiple bodies could have appeared at different times. 2023 Hassan and Barber discuss the three known cases. On the first watch, I just thought Barber was in denial as up to this point, we still don't know he's in on it. He later makes excuses as to why he can't go, but Hassan has to, again manipulating the situation. Now, is it me, or is 1890s Ash always as shirtless as possible? 2051 Maplewood and Defoe are getting on famously, even with noisy neighbour Lorna around. Their discussion on free will is interesting, and very much the point of the whole story. They also talk about the 2050s United Britain and the sweeping away of corruption. This reminds me of Chinese history when Chairman Mao first came to power and did a lot of fabulous anti-corruption things until things went 
downhill and he just started doing whatever he needed to in order to keep power. Defoe's declaration of how happy he is to meet Maplewood whilst appearing to be just on his way to the bathroom does seem a bit over the top. And sure enough, it all kicks off as Defoe makes a run for it and seemingly hapless neighbour Lorna goes all body snatcher, but she's not exactly in on it, but against it as part of Chapel Perilous. I guess Chapel Perilous is a reference to Whitechapel. 1940s Whiteman mentions that Esther is a kinder kid, someone from the kinder transport program. There's a movie just coming out about that, played by Anthony Hopkins. I remember seeing the program in 1980s called That's Life, when his efforts were recognised and applauded by a studio full of people he had saved. One of the most touching moments of TV I ever saw. Whiteman's efforts to save Esther are ultimately futile, and that reminded me of a scene from the movie Perfume, Diary of a Murderer, where a father tries and tries to prevent his daughter from being attacked by the killer, but it happens anyway, and he is similarly distraught. I had been wondering why 1940 Polly's face had always been away from the camera. It's not like we'd recognise her as being 1890s Polly, I don't think. But really, it's so that when we see her in the underground, we don't immediately know who she is. Until about four minutes later, when it all becomes obvious. 2023 Hassan goes to Harker's place and learns of the name Maplewood, so now she has clues to everybody. Morley is there, being very creepy, and revealing that a lot more people are in on it. Why those bodies are stored in the building, I can't imagine. They actually reminded me of the Cleon clones from Foundation. Morley says that Elias died wanting to undo it, which of course we don't understand yet, but we'll do in the final episode. This really was a great episode for a rewatch. So many links to things that have happened and are going to happen that we didn't realise on the first time watching. This really justifies, if any justification were needed, that your approach of covering this series in the way you've done is absolutely excellent. Take care and Happy New Year. Alan from England. All right, let's start with Fred in the Netherlands. Uh, Again, we've said this dozens of times over the years. I love it that we can learn about other countries and cultures and how they celebrate various holidays you know, here, uh, we don't have anything like Boxing Day or any or Second Christmas or, you know, anything like that. It's I think for most adults, the 26th of December is all about survival. You know, <laughs> we made it through. Let's just relax. I, I just I love that Second Christmas. Like that is that is brilliant. Why, why can't we have another second Christmas? It's great. Yeah, you say that, but... Uh, yeah. Um, but I mean, just like like I said, like a day where it's like now instead of rushing around to be the family, now you just hang in your own house, yeah. right? Which I guess is what we do anyway, right? Yeah. Now, Fred, uh, you really sold me on wanting to see Oppenheimer, especially when you mentioned that it comes in at over three hours, so... Uh. <laughs> yeah, I... I, I Dave will watch the true. Actually, the Truman Show is only like an hour and a half. Okay, all right. And, you know, and we, we talked. Fred brings up the thing about Polly, and I, I think you mentioned that he brought it up, and and that she's just following the loop, and you know, she she knows how to find Esther. She knows where Esther's going to be. We just see, I guess, in this episode, how close it comes to not happening. That if it's not for 
Whiteman holding the gate open so one more person, her, can squeeze through, Esther survives. And he may not get stabbed, although I guess he probably still would because he's – you know, on, on alert because he knows that guy's following him. So, um, anyway, uh, what else about Fred's? You know, I just, after he said second Christmas, I don't know if I really, I just, I, I think, you know, like Fred pointed out, as we talked about before, like that, that they really, they do such a good job with Barber and that heel turn is really, um, we think it's out of nowhere, but again, now that on the rewatch and what we already know that we, you know, we can see those aspects of it. We can see little things about it, and mostly being the fact that, as I said, that he is helping her so much with this investigation. And then when she, you know, is in the Harker house and um, Andrew says, you know, how basically they needed her to find the body and they need her to meet with Elias. So, you know, again, I feel like, my radar should have gone up a little bit more back then saying, Oh, well, who has been really helping her with this? Right. But like I say, it's very expertly done. And so, and it's and a good catch on the crown. All right. Now, Alan in England love the allusion to the Cleon clones in foundation. <laughs> and I've been looking at my notes a couple of times before the podcast. And I keep looking at it. It's like Cleon Jones. I don't know if you're old enough to remember Cleon Jones was an outfielder for the Mets back in the late sixties, early seventies. Apparently, uh, I was born in the early. Oh, right. Not too long after he retired, apparently they found him naked in a back of a van or something. I forget. But, uh, anyway, um, yeah. And and Alan, appreciate the support for our discussion choice and certainly agree about all the plot details that, that jump out especially in episode four and presumably in five, six and seven, as we you know move into the back half of the season. All right. What else? Yeah. mentions the, uh, um, Nicholas winter. And I just, on Christmas day, I was watching, um, a, like, a it was a symphony performing. And I don't know if it was that guy that he's talking about, but they definitely had a guy there who had saved a bunch of people in the Holocaust, and those, those people were in the the audience. That was really cool and everything. Well, the, you know, so I, I would say, I mentioned Rebel Moon. Oh, also the the comparison he made between like the Cultural Revolution in China and um, what potentially is happening here in 2053. I thought that's actually a good uh, way of looking at it because you know you say, oh, we've created this paradise. Everyone's equal. Everyone's happy. Everyone's nice to each other. But you know what? At what cost and everything. Rebel Moon. So I, I did see Rebel Moon, and um, I actually will say that I enjoyed it. You know, I thought it was it was it's it's like total Zack Snyder type movie where it's like these really good action sequences. Um, the story itself was solid. I mean, there's the what people's main. Um, and, and as Alan even says, like you can, there's so much that it's borrowed, right? It's definitely grabbed from a bunch of different types of movies and everything, especially the the Seven Samurai or the you know, the Magnificent Seven, going around and acquiring a team of of people who are experts in one thing or something like that, you know. I, which you know, again, I kind of, I, I, I saw what they were doing, but I said, you know what? That's actually, I kind of 
appreciate that because I love the Seven Samurai is great, but the Magnificent Seven is one of my all-time favorite movies. You know the Star Wars aspects of it; it's, you just can't miss that. But you know, I, I found it enjoyable. You know, like I didn't go in thinking it was going to be the deepest movie ever made. Well, outside of, you know, I, I do like the Watchmen movie that Zack Snyder made. Not necessarily a fan of the, you know, Justice League movie, even the Snyder cut, especially the Snyder cut, as it's like five hours long. But, um, but you know, I thought Rebel Moon was kind of cool. I liked it. I think it wasn't the greatest movie ever, but uh, I found it enjoyable. And I am looking forward to the, uh, the the next one. So there you go. All right. Well, you know, we talked last week and the previous weeks, uh, giving this episode an A, I assume. But what I wanted to mention, and I can't, I don't think it was either Fred or Alan, so it might have been in the Facebook group, but, but the, obviously the comparison to a show like Dark is almost unavoidable and the sense that, well, it's not really in Dark's league. And I guess my reaction would be, I know what you're saying, but I think it's a little unfair given that Dark got three seasons and this only has one. So we don't necessarily right. know where this would go. So, yeah. I, I, right. Dark was able to string us out longer, right? Yes. For if for no, nothing else, right? Yeah. I I, I mean I, I see like the there are some definitely you know parallels between the two. But yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that there are two things that could be comparable to each other. I mean, there are aspects. I, you know, yeah, M- yeah. Mickle, you know, in the opening episode ends up going from, I guess it's 2019 to 1986. And then he lives out his life, you know, in 1986 and, and you know, into uh, the future. And, and certainly we see that in Hassan, who you know, right uh, now, but, you know, now it's, it was a it's like different. whereas dark could give us like mysteries and not really answer it and then we'd have like a year to ponder it Correct. you know yes uh, and then uh then go into like season two with like all of this already packaging or baggage that of like okay like here's what we think is happening you know and then we talk about for another season and we have a whole nother year to to kind of to marinate on all that stuff so you know that there's something to be said for that i think you know, right as far as like um adding to the vibe of a show and, and to the general quality of a show and everything and how it's seen and remembered sure now i said hassan i meant to say uh julian harker is the one that travels back in time and then yes well hassan does too well no she she actually doesn't she a- actually Oh, you're right. She travels. Right. She travels. Right, 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 right. Yeah. You just watched it, bro. Come on. I know. All right. Anyway. All right. Let's go ahead and leave it there or I'll make another mistake. Uh, (laughs) That'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about bodies, something going on in your genre world. Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about episode five of the Netflix sci-fi thriller Bodies. But until then. So, Dave, I think next week we should not take notes at all before we talk about the show. So nothing written down. We just do oral.